Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life, the podcast dedicated to helping you discover, develop, and serve with your divine gifts and create a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy. I'm grateful to have Susan Landers today as a guest. I'm not going to spoil anything, so I'm just going to say welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. So just before we chatted a bit, you told me about your medical career of renown of decades and all kinds of cool stuff. But you also mentioned about, you know, raising kids and all of the other parts of a fulfilling and hectic life. And yes. you said something funny. I retired, then I got bored. <laughs> so right. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about that board and what it drove you to do. I've always been a go-getter kind of person and uh, a little bit of a perfectionist. You have to be to be successful in medicine. And I was a neonatologist, which is a critical care doctor for sick babies, newborns and premature infants. And I was always running around doing lots of things, procedures, talking to parents, uh, talking with obstetricians, attending deliveries. And I loved that work. For 34 years, I enjoyed that work immensely. It was quite a learning experience after my training, after residency and fellowship, when I finally got married and started to have children. That was when I was broadsided. I knew how to be a really good physician, but I had to sort of muddle my way through learning how to be uh, a good mother, especially a working mother. I loved working and I was very fulfilled by my work, but I also loved being a mother. Ultimately, my husband and I had three children. They're all healthy, grown young adults now. So I decided to retire in 2016. It was a little burnout at the end, still taking night calls, still working long hours in the hospital at night, um, still resuscitating babies, uh, still seeing some cases that were troubling in uh, ethically challenging ways. And so when I retired, I started to take stock of where I had been and what I had learned in that process about myself. Um, I was bored. I remember walking around the house saying, I just really need more to do. And my husband said, why aren't you just enjoying sitting around needlework, reading books? And I was reading books and gardening and having fun. I was at a luncheon with a friend of mine who's a retired psychiatrist, and I said, I just can't shake this feeling of just kind of being at loose ends, and I just don't know what it is. I just feel like I need to be doing more, and she said, excuse me, 
She said, you are adjusting to no longer being important. I went, what? She said, yeah, doctors have a hard time stopping their doctoring. I went, well, that makes a lot of sense. I guess that is, in fact, what it is, because I always love taking care of people. And so in the process of, of getting through that boredom, I started to resurrect my favorite stories from my NICU patients, little babies that had uh, survived and thrived, whose families I got to know really well. I started writing down those stories to publish a um, sort of a compendium of NICU stories. I talked to the parents to get permission to tell their baby's story. And they all said, of course, fine, gave me permission. And of course, I changed the names. Then as I began to work on this, I enjoyed the busyness of writing down the stories and editing what had happened to make it descriptive for other people to read. And then some friends said, well, if you're going to go to all that trouble, why don't you add in all the problems you had as a working mother? I went, oh, okay. That, you sure that wouldn't make it funny? Because I was telling a medical story and they said, oh, no, no, that would make it better because it's you and your children and your husband and your marriage and your family and how you did that and practice medicine. And so I began to write down those stories. And within a couple of years, I had a memoir, a book called So Many Babies. And it was a book all about how I balanced my career with being a mother. And after finishing the book, I realized that what I had produced was <clears throat> something that would reassure other working mothers. I had written something that told women what you're doing when you have a full-time job and raise a family is really hard. And you have to learn how to take care of yourself in order to do all that. And I told the raw stories about how I learn that slowly, how I did not take care of myself in the beginning, how I learned how to do that, how I learned how to communicate in my marriage, just lots and lots of different things, the importance of friendships, the importance of support people at work. And all of that came out in the book as my version of how to be a working mom, enjoying your job or your career, and also loving having a family and being married. So that ended up to be my labor of love. My book ended up being my post-retirement labor of love. Well, you know, <clears throat> you started by saying you're bored, and I can see in you from the talk we had a little before we started recording, and just the description that you have right now, this is not an act of boredom alleviation. So what I want to, I may have started there and you may have thought about something like that, but what I want you to talk about now for a minute is what is it in your heart? What is it in your heart that drives you to want to 
add good to the world is a phrase that I love to use. And, you know, to give back, add good to the world, whatever, however you want to describe it. What is it in your heart that makes you want to do that when you could just, you know, read books, play golf, do whatever you wanted to, but you're not, you're doing a bunch of other stuff. Tell me more about that. That is called generativity. And when I discovered the name for the feeling that I had of wanting to use my wisdom and my experience and give back to others, I was so happy. I said, that makes sense. You know, older people have sort of been around the block. They've made the mistakes. They kind of know some tricks. They can help younger people along in the path. And since I was always a helper, Kellen, I kept being a helper. And so what I have done, in addition to writing my book, is create a website that supports working mothers. I have a very active newsletter and a blog. And I post on social media begrudgingly. I don't like social media, but I'm there because everybody has to be there. Um, And uh, I'm creating an online course for working mothers who are just doing their very best to work their job, take care of their kids, take care of their marriage, have their friendship, take care of their elder parents, some of them. I have been through all of that, every bit of it. My mom was 97 when she died. My dad was 94. I had to take manage all of their care the last 10 years of their lives. And so I think if, if you personally struggle through something and you have experience and you have wisdom, much like what you're doing, you, you're obligated as a human being with a kind heart, with love in your heart, to give that knowledge and experience and wisdom to others, to bring others up along with you. I have always thought that we are given talent so that we can help others and serve others. You can't be a doctor without thinking that. I mean, I guess you could be, but I never was. Um, what was so that word again? Generativity. Generativity. So I love that. I actually haven't heard that word before, and I'm enjoying that you're bringing it up. I always think that we're built like we're built to love and serve each other. That's when we're yeah. happiest and yeah. we do it in different ways. And like you said, we all have gifts and talents. And the whole point of me doing this is to help as many people as I can discover their gifts and choose to serve with them. So I want you to talk a little bit about your kids in the context Mm of uh, helping them be part of it. How were they part of this balance? And uh, what what are they thinking of and saying as you do this new stuff since 2016? So now seven years, so it's not new. Uh, You know, what's going on with the kids and their relationship to this? Oh, that's a a great question. My son is proud as he can be. He's a cinematographer. He he has nothing to do with medicine. My daughter is a pediatric ICU nurse, and she thinks it's a good idea to help other working mothers. And she's always looking at me and saying, why is it so hard? She has two little ones, two years and six years old. 
I said, honey, it's just hard, you know? I mean, it's just not easy to work three 12-hour shifts a week and have two little kids and work on your master's to become a nurse practitioner. That's a lot. The reason you're tired is because you're doing a lot. So they're excited for what I'm doing, and they see the benefit of it. My youngest one, who's still in finishing college, thinks I should be playing golf and gardening and taking it easy. So two out of three are behind me. Um, They all gave me permission to tell their stories because my working mom life story is nothing without my three children and my husband. And in my book, I talk about the struggles that each child presented me with, how I looked for help, how I solved the problem, how I got the support I needed to help them along the way. And I have some pretty juicy tales. I mean, my son was gifted and it was kind of socially inept. and It was really kind of hard to get him where he needed to be in elementary and middle school. Um, My older daughter had an eating disorder when she was a teenager. Um, you know, pretty classic example of perfectionistic child, middle child, overachieving parents, high expectations. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't know much about eating disorders, but I knew she wasn't eating. And so I cut my hours back. Um, so instead of working 60 hours a week, I worked 40 hours a week so that I could get her the care and help that she needed. And she recovered very quickly within about six months. And I write about that in the book because it's an example of how in our lives with our jobs, whether you're a doctor or a school teacher or a nurse or a firefighter, You can't always do your job when something comes up with a child or with your marriage. You sometimes have to negotiate what gives. Um, And I think telling personal stories about how I struggled to figure that out helps other people. When I talk to young moms, they're always saying, I just can't figure out how to get this all done. Um, I can't figure out how to take care of me because I'm spending so much time taking care of everybody else. Um, so, so there's a question I want to ask you right there. <clears throat> two, two pieces to this. One is uh, the, the idea that some people, many people have that they're supposed to somehow be able to figure this out and that reach, <laughs> reaching out for help, particularly in a substantial way, is a sign of of weakness somehow. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that, the necessity of community, of reaching out for help and so forth. And the other piece of it is the balance act. When you said you cut your work hours, you know, some people would view that as negative, that it's some kind of sacrifice when the truth is it's a person making a choice about what's important. So reaching out for help and then the balancing act in deciding your priorities. Could you talk a little bit about that? Reaching out for help for women, social connection. I'm not talking Instagram. I'm talking person to person, sitting in the coffee shop or on the telephone. 
is vital to women feeling supported. Community, connection, friends. I would go to work when I was a young mom and I would say, my kid's doing this. Are any of you struggling with this? And they go, oh, God, yes. And, and we'd talk about the solutions or we'd talk about where we got advice from a pediatrician. And all along the way, my friends, some at work, some personal, some at church, some in the neighborhood, my friends gave me guidance. And I guess I was willing enough to ask them for help. What do you think? Interestingly, I didn't ask my mother what she thought very much because um, she seemed to have been a different sort of kind of a hands-off mother, and I wanted to be a hands-on mother. So reaching out and asking for help and getting support from your friends is crucial to surviving being a working mother. <clears throat> it, there, <clears throat> excuse me. There's no way to get through it without connectivity, without connection, without community. Whether it's a play date, whether it's the moms at school, whether it's your peers at work, and I learned to do all of those things. And it changes over the course of your life. And it changes with individual children. Some kids' mothers are easy to get to know. And other kids' friends' mothers are not. But there's always somebody around that will listen and provide guidance. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Asking for help, I think, is a sign of strength. In medicine, we say that doctors who don't know something and are able to admit that are the best doctors. If if I said to a family, I'm not sure the answer that, but I'm going to go look it up and I'll get back to you. And then and I went and looked something up about a new drug or a new technology. They were reassured that I was honest with them about what I knew and didn't know. So what we do when we reach out is we admit that we are human. We admit that we need the input from another person. Um, balance. Wow. Balance is loaded. Um, there, in my mind, there's really no such thing as balance for working mothers or working parents. I think it's more of a juggling act than a balance. Because if I'm in ICU, knee-deep in premature babies, I'm not at home with my sick child. I have to hire somebody to stay home with my sick child or my kids in daycare or my kids at elementary school or wherever the children are that get their care. Working moms can't be in two places at once. So you do the best you can at work trying to leave behind the stresses of raising children. And then when you're not at work, you do the best you can with your children, trying to be present for them and loving and try to leave work on the back burner. Having said that, my children grew up making rounds in the hospital. I confess, my husband and I would take them with us on weekends when we made rounds. And either they would sit in the nursing station or they would sit outside in the waiting room. And when it was quiet, sometimes in the evening, I would 
let each one of my kids come into the neonatal ICU and, you know, after hand washing and gown and the whole thing, and they would see the babies because I wanted them to know what mommy did when she was always gone at the hospital. So the answer to your question about balance is there's no such thing. It's like a seesaw. It's more like a seesaw. You give and you take and you make decisions based on your job requirements and your family needs. And those of us who can cut back our hours if our kids need it are lucky. Some people can't manage to cut their hours if their child is in trouble. And that's when they need to reach out for help, family or friends. So thank you. That's some great thoughts about that. Now you've mentioned uh, your husband a few times, and I know personally, and I'm sure you do too, people whose marriages don't survive Mm -hmm. uh, working, moms and kids, and it's particularly busy careers. Like I had one, I have 10 kids, and my last 10th one spent some time in uh, uh, neonatal intensive care. She had some Mm -hmm. breathing problems, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, I know something about that. But anyway, I I am um, <clears throat> talk a little bit about your husband and working that relationship because that support and that coordination and joint decision making and friction and resolution and lubrication of the friction <laughs> and all yeah. of that stuff is a big part to the kind of success you've achieved. So talk a little bit about that uh, that situation. Yeah, it is. Let me say that I think single mothers are saints because they do so much on their own and usually figure out pretty quickly they have to ask for help from a friend or a colleague. But I didn't have that route. I was married. I've been married for 39 years. My husband is also a pediatrician, a pediatric nephrologist, children's kidney diseases, and he's now retired. I felt okay about being in the hospital at night working because they were at home with him and he wasn't scared to do mundane child care things. In fact, he cooked all the family meals. That was not my strength. That was his strength. And I took care of everything else. The teachers, the doctors, the orthodontists, the play dates, the plays, the programs, the application forms, camp, you name it. But he did grocery shopping and food preparation and taught our kids how to cook. He and I have had, like most married couples, many ups and downs in our marriage. The the greatest one I want to tell you about was when I was 41 years old. That was just last week, right? Right, last week. (laughs) <laughs> he, we had moved to a different city and state from Houston, Texas, because he had a great job and a great job offer. And we moved there and I just had an okay job and I had little kids and my youngest had been born about a year before. And I hated my job as much as he loved his. And I became depressed, clinically depressed, although I kept working. Um, I was doing too much, three kids, new house, new neighborhood, new school, 
no friends, left all my friends behind in Houston. So I didn't have any support. And he was having just a great time. And as happy as he became, I became angry and resentful. And as it turned into depression, I did have a friend who was willing to say, I think you really need to talk to somebody. And she gave me the name of a friend. And I saw a good therapist who helped me through this rough patch. But after I got through the rough patch clinically, he and I sat down and talked about what we wanted our family to look like and where we wanted to be and what I needed and what he needed. We really agonized over all of that. I was still working way more hours than he was. It's just the nature of neonatology. But over a two-year process, I convinced him that we needed to go to yet another location where we could both find jobs where we were both happy and fulfilled because that makes you a better parent if you like your job. And so we did that. We did that hard work and we moved to Austin, Texas, where we both had better jobs, made more money, had more free time. He built a huge pediatric subspecialty practice and had a lot to do with building Dell Children's Hospital in Austin, Texas. And he was happy doing that. And I had a great job that allowed me a little more time for other things. Um, like I became the medical director of a human donor milk bank. And so both of us really flourished after we moved. But it was the process of my being depressed and our being so unhappy and our marriage being so challenged that we had to sit down and do the work to say, what do we want as a couple? What do we want as a family? Neither one of us believed in divorce. And we wanted to keep our family together and happy. And so we made a conscious decision to go for other jobs. And so I think... Sorry, I think that's hard to do. I think that's hard and, and it, it's probably terrifying for a lot of people to go through something like that. It is. And I, the, the, the point you made, I want to go on a little bit more. And that's this. You guys were able to do the work and stay together and make the conscious decision because you had as the primacy, the health and well-being of your family. Right. And Sometimes, obviously, that doesn't happen. But the thing I want to focus on is the thing you said about doing the work. <laughs> so whatever the shape of the work is, whether you end up single or you end up being able to have a partner that you work together with and, you know, you'd never recognize your own need. The key issue that I want you to just talk about for a minute is the willingness to do the work to get where you want to go. Right. It's, it's crucial. It starts with self-awareness of why you get in the predicament you find yourself in. I was unhappy. I became depressed. My husband was very happy and I built up resentment. I had to work through why I was resentful of his happiness and why I was mad and that his job was easier than mine. <clears throat> I was brave enough to get professional therapy. I remember describing to my psychiatrist 
my situation as if I was the man on the stage twirling sticks around and spinning plates on top of the sticks and putting up more plates on more sticks and running around the stage spinning all the plates so that none would wobble. And if one wobbled, you'd run over to it and spin the stick and keep everything spinning. And I described this to him as my life. I said, that's my life. And this plate is my job and I don't like it. And this plate is David and this plate is Anne and this plate is... And he started laughing. And I said, what in the world is so funny about that? He said, that's your life. Can't you figure out how to take down some of the plates? And it was such an epiphany for me. It was one of those aha moments. And I went, I'm doing this to myself. I'm doing too much. And it's my choice to do too much. So I made a choice to look at my priorities. And we made a choice as a couple to talk through our issues, we started going on dates once a week without the children. We got out of the house and talked to each other. We had family gatherings, which were lovely. We always had family meals and we continued that. But we did the work. It was work. Those conversations were difficult and painful. And my deciding to let go of a research project and not write this paper and not uh, not do this at school and not volunteer for that in, in a daughter's classroom and not make somebody's uh, costume for Halloween. I, I had to literally think of everything I did in my life as tasks that were the plates. And I was choosing which plate. I would spin. And he saw me doing that work. And we were able to do the same work as a couple. And it was work. It took us at least two years to get through that whole process of, okay, what are we going to do? What's available? What's best for the kids? Where should we go? What jobs are there? What kind of schooling? We wanted to place with public schools. Uh, we wanted a place closer to family. We wanted a place where the jobs fit our personalities and our stage of our careers. And we did it together. And I'm so glad we did because if we hadn't done that work, we would have fallen apart. So on that note, I want to ask you, <clears throat> want to make sure that people know uh, where to get a hold of you, how to find out more, because you've got a book. You've got a course that you're creating. You're working specifically with the effort of working uh, mothers who have to balance all those things and have all those plates spinning to offer your insights, your anecdotes, your stories and things, which I think is a wonderful way for you to add good to the world. So what's the best way to find you? Uh, my website is SusanLandersMD.com. If you go there and type in uh, burnout, you will find a burnout checklist for working mothers and lots of other free resources. You can sign up for my newsletter. I have a blog there. All my social media posts, links are there. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn. 
So my website is the place to start. My book is called So Many Babies, and it's also available on the website with links to buy on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. I'm, I'm a full service shop. Uh, and as soon as I get my course finished, I'll have an online course that's moderately priced, not high priced, to help other working moms. I want to thank you. And I want to thank you for your love, for your kindness, for your choice to give back, to add good to the world and generativity. Was that the word? I want to say it again, generativity, which is the choice to listen to the yearning that we all have inside to be of love and in service to those around us, because that's how we're built. Thank you for being with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So I want you to go back and listen to this. She's given us a great set of stories and examples from a perspective of someone who did the work and was able to succeed. That is one of the powerful keys for you to create your ultimate life. Open your heart in this time around. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart in the sky and your feet on the